How I love your word, how it lights my path, how it guides my way. Acts chapter 23, verses 12 to 22. This is about a conspiracy to kill Paul. And when it was day, the Jews formed a conspiracy and bound themselves under an oath, saying that they would neither eat nor drink until they had killed Paul. And there were more than 40 who formed this plot. And they came to the chief priests and the elders and said, We have bound ourselves under a solemn oath to taste nothing until we have killed Paul. Now, therefore, you and the council notify the commander to bring him down to you as though you were going to determine his case by a more thorough investigation. And we, for our part, are ready to slay him before he comes near the place. But the son of Paul's sister heard of their ambush, and he came and entered the barracks and told Paul. And Paul called one of the centurions to him and said, Lead this young man to the commander, for he has something to report to him. So he took him and led him to the commander and said, Paul the prisoner called me to him and asked me to lead this young man to you since he has something to tell you. And the commander took him by the hand and stepping aside began to inquire of him privately. What is it that you have to report to me? And he said, the Jews have agreed to ask you to bring Paul down tomorrow to the council as though they were going to inquire somewhat more thoroughly about him. So do not listen to them, for more than 40 of them are lying in wait for him who have bound themselves under a curse not to eat or drink until they slay him. And now they are ready and waiting for the promise from, from you. Therefore the commander let the young man go, instructing him, tell no one that you have notified me of these things. Thank you for Lydia, Lord. We thank you for her love for you. We thank you that she is well healed in the kingdom of God and has been save, serving you for so many years, Lord. Thank you for what the word you prepared in our heart, Lord. Release it into our lives, into our hearts, into our minds, into our spirits, that uh, we may grow through the ministry of your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Wonderful. Well, good morning, everyone. God is good, and all the time. Wonderful. It's a lovely privilege to be here this morning. Um, I was reflecting, I think, that Debs had booked me in in March 2020, towards the end. And so I was kind of thinking I was coming to preach in March 2020, and then, of course, we went into lockdown. So this is like more than 18 months later fulfilling that. So it's really lovely to be here this morning, and it's many, many years since I've been to Forest Hill on a Sunday morning. So it's wonderful. I think I did manage to speak at a women's breakfast, a Forest Hill women's breakfast in Nicholas House, which was really wonderful. Um, so that's nice, but it's great to be here on a Sunday morning. Um, by way of introduction this morning then, I'm going to do a classic Roger and just look at the verse before the passage of today. And that is verse 11 because it is so important for this story. And so the verse just before the one Martin read 
It's when Paul, in verse 10, there's been this huge dissension and there's more and more kind of hatred towards Paul. And if you remember in verse 10, he's almost torn to pieces, but he's saved actually by the Romans who take him to the barracks. And then it's that night that, that same night that the Lord stood at his side, that Jesus appears to Paul and says, take courage. For you solemnly witness to my cause in Jerusalem, and now you must also witness in Rome. And a few, a few chapters before, Paul has been saying, I long to go and witness in Rome. And so in a sense, this is God fulfilling this. God saying, yes, that desire I put in your heart to go to Rome, that was from me. And I do want you to go to Rome. And it's so important this in in the context of today's story because he appears and says, take courage. So that no matter what comes against him, that he knows in a sense that God is with him. And it's quite amazing, isn't it? Because for both of them, for Paul here, he's saying, take courage because you've witnessed to my cause in Jerusalem. And now you're witness to my cause in Rome. So all these kind of appearances that Paul's about to have and we're kind of looking through them, aren't we, together. It's actually not, in a sense, these different trials that Paul has. They're not for his own defense, are they? The things that he says are not to save him. You know, it's not like a defense um, to save his own life. But actually, they're opportunities that God wants him to witness. And so... It's so similar to Jesus, isn't it? I mean, I'm sure as we're looking through these trials in the next sort of months, the, the, the different trials that Paul has and he appears, doesn't he, before lots of people. He's already appeared before the Jews and the council. And then next stop, he's going to go and appear before Felix and then Festus and Agrippa. So he has five of these kind of appearances, kind of trials or defenses. And each time it's clear here that God wants him to witness to God's cause, not his own defense. And it's lovely parallel because you've got Jesus also has these five trials. Jesus appears, doesn't he, to five different sets of people in the course of his trial, although obviously Jesus wasn't really given a fair trial. But in a sense, what's lovely about this and what's lovely about Paul, this next period of Paul's life, is that even though it results in the end in Paul's death, but God uses these five, these five kind of trials and defenses to help Paul to be a witness to him. And I was thinking, how amazing is that? What a privilege for Paul that in the midst of all this trial, these difficulties, that in a sense, he is fulfilling the same thing that Jesus fulfilled in these trials, which is to be a witness to be a witness, not to, not to do his own defense. Actually, I'm innocent. Actually, no, you know, like the defense lawyers, the attorneys and all that. Not that. He's not actually defending his own self and his own life, is he? He's using the opportunity to witness. So we hear in verse 11 where it's saying, take courage, you've solemnly witnessed in Jerusalem and now you're going to Rome. And isn't that so inspiring for us. Don't we want our lives to be like that? That we think, yes, I am fulfilling with my life the same thing that Jesus was fulfilling. So Paul here is being called to be just like Jesus in his trials. 
And how inspiring for us. When I read that, I think, Lord, let me be like you. Let my life be like Jesus. As I face different things, Lord, use me to be a witness to you. Not necessarily just to, you know, my own justification or my own defense, but to be your witness. And it's so important um, in the context of today's story where he says, take courage. Take courage. And... um, I was thinking it's so important for Paul. He's about to go through all these different things. And then he, he ultimately he will die. So he needs courage. And how much do we need courage as well sometimes in our own life? That was an amazing story from, um, from Jerry because it fits in so well, wasn't it? That actually Jerry had to speak and had to be a witness in that moment. That actually he had to share something. And it took a huge amount of courage, I imagine. Actually, a huge amount of courage. It made me think of before Henry and I went to Thailand, um, we'd, been, we'd had it on our hearts for many, many years that we wanted to go and serve God as missionaries abroad. Um, and then we went, we went to Lee Green. We felt God was saying, you know, how can you plant a church in another country until you've done it in your own and sort of led a church in your own? So then we felt, yes, and um, Roger and Faith asked us to go to Lee Green. That was completely right for that season. But then when we were thinking, Lord, are we going to go to Thailand? Are we going to go? And by this point, we'd had Barney and Rose. So, of course, it was then it gets much more complicated because you think, nah, nah, we've missed the moment now. It's too difficult because of the kids. And I had this very sort of, um, uh, what, what do you call it, challenging conversation with someone who actually really loved me and was really thinking of my best interest. But she started to list all the things that could go wrong. You know what I mean? When we went to Thailand. So it's sort of like, you know, this could happen and your children's education and they could get sick and they could, you know, and it was like listing all these things and this could happen to you. And it was like, oh gosh, it was really a hard conversation. And I went away and I was thinking, because we were really seeking God and thinking, can we do this? And I think it just sent me into a month of just being like, no, it's okay. We missed the moment. It's fine. It's just far too risky. All the things that could happen. And um, I, I felt really down, to be honest, because I felt like, oh, you know, oh, it's just, it's too, you know, when you feel fear coming into you, and I just felt I can't do it. And uh, it's an amazing story because I was away, um, and I took Barney Rose to the cinema because we were on holiday at Christmas time, and I took him to the cinema to see this dinosaur film, and it's like it was some sort of. I can't even remember now what sort of dinosaur film. And there was this moment where it was really scary. I think Barney must have been five and Rose must have been two or three. And, uh, you know, the dinosaur's like roaring, really roaring. And uh, Barney was getting really scared. So I sort of had him on my lap. But I was thinking, oh, he's quite sensitive to that kind of thing. So I was thinking, oh, gosh. I thought, and then I was was really trying to comfort Barney in this scary, roaring bit. And I thought, oh, gosh, where's Rose? Because I was on my own. So I thought, where's Rose? So I was like, looking for Rose. She must be terrified. And uh, I looked at the end of the road. And you know, like in the cinema when there's like the stairs, you know. So she'd come off the seat and she was on the stairs. And this dinosaur was roaring on the screen. And then I saw Rose and she was just going, like back at the dinosaur and um, I I just thought I was so amazed and I just said God that that girl she Lord she's fearless you know I was talking to God and I said wow this girl she is fearless do you know what I mean and then I felt this is one of the most incredible times in my life like an audible voice almost where God said that's what I've made you to be and Lydia I made you to be fearless why are you scared And it was like the most, you know, and it was so impacted me. And I was driving home from the cinema and I was like crying because I I just knew it was God saying to me, don't be scared about Thailand. Don't be scared. 
And um, it, it, it's kind of, obviously, it's nothing like Paul because he's facing death here. It's much, much, Paul is facing, I'm not trying to say we were facing anything like that. But it was the most amazing thing where God, I just felt God saying to me, I made you to be fearless. So don't let this fear come on you and take courage. And it was after that that I felt, okay, we can do it. We can do it. And God's going to be with us when we were in Thailand. And there were loads of times when we did feel lots of pressure and lots of fear out there. And there was this one time we'd had a team time with our small team over there. And uh, we had these two Bible students with us and then Ben and Jao, who are leading the church now. And we were at our house and we had team time and food and stuff like that. And we came out of the house and it was, it was a real time when things, we really felt like a lot of pressure, a lot of things. And then there was this huge snake, you know, like one of those huge snakes, like about that big. And uh, it was wrapped around the tree in the front of our house. And um, we, we were sort of a little bit oblivious in a way because we didn't really know, like, what snakes what and which one's poisonous and that sort of thing. But um, these Bible students, they're from the north of uh, Thailand, so they're very sort of country, you know. And they came out and they said, okay, don't panic, but this is like a really deadly poisonous snake in the front of your house. And we were like, oh, my gosh. And... Um, they were seriously like, go in and shut the doors and shut, you know, because don't let this snake in. And I was thinking about the kids and, you know, I was thinking, oh, my gosh, oh, my gosh. And so we were like texting and people were saying, please pray for us. And actually they managed to go and find, these people went off and found the, um, this, these two men that came and helped with this snake catching thing. And they caught the snake and they took it out and that was fine. But they were saying like, wow, there must have been an angel by your house. Because it, was, it didn't come onto our gate, but it was like in the tree just there and they were saying that is serious and these are the Thai people that were like going you that was really close and we were like all oh, right um but it was there were times like that where I just thought back and I thought you know what I thank you God that I just so knew God was with us and that is why it is so important at this moment for Paul that he knows that God says take courage and that he knows that God is with him and will take him to be a witness. So maybe even you just need to hear that word, take courage, because I am with you. And when uh, two, two friends from Lee Green came to visit us and they said, we really feel there's an angel watching over this house in Thailand. They said, we really feel that. We really feel there's an angel here. And I honestly did feel that presence. And it was thanks to people's praying for us and standing with us. So that's the context to this. So now onto the actual passage, and maybe Lizzie can bring up the slide. I've called this thing the power of agreements, okay? The power of agreements. And it's because you can see in this passage that we do have, we do have different two contrasting kind of agreements. And uh, the first one is really quite terrifying, isn't it? This agreement that the Jews have formed and that they've decided. It, it, it's so dark, isn't it? If you look in verse 12, they decide they're going to form this conspiracy and they've bound themselves under an oath. They're not going to eat or drink until Paul is dead. And there's 40 of them. I mean, that, is, that really sends a chill down my spine. I mean, that is a horrible, horrible, dark thing, isn't it, that they have made against his life. And they've put themselves under that kind of oath. And it, it really is quite a remarkable level of kind of hatred, isn't it, and, and dark kind of demonic activi activity. And it really is something that's like a spirit that has come upon them. And it's almost like a kind of a religious spirit. You know, it's this spirit that's come. It's really ugly. 
And it literally takes them to the point of murderous intent that they are actually winning. I mean, that is a very, very powerful and negative agreement, isn't it, that they have made between them. And the thing is, if it has succeeded, which we're going to, you know, thankfully it didn't, praise God, that there was a, an angelic kind of thing to deliver Paul. Um, but can you imagine, like, not only would it have taken Paul's life if they had succeeded, but also the likelihood is, you know, because he was being transported by soldiers, probably some of those 40 men as well, it would have taken their life. I mean, that is a really, really ugly and aggressive horrible spirit isn't it and you read it and think oh gosh and it, it it kind of it reminds you in a sense of some of the hatred and the horrible things you know that do happen that do erupt like when you read stories of um you know people people stabbing or killing one another or like horrible um violence you know really horrible things that you read about and it really disturbs your spirit and you think oh lord how can we be living in a country with this level you know of hatred and agreements and negative things and um it's it's a bit of a warning isn't it in a sense these were jews these 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 were these were people that were supposed to be god fearing and they've put themselves under this horrible they've got so lost and so angry and so aggressive that they put themselves under this horrible kind of oath and curse that they want to see Paul murdered. They want to murder Paul. And it's a real warning. I remember um, seeing a bit of this kind of ugly religious spirit kind of um, at work in Thailand again. And it was when we were, we'd planted the church and we were seeing some new Christians like coming out of Buddhism. And Buddhism is so, so dark. It's a very dark kind of religion where there's lots of fear and, and people worshipping spirit houses and stuff. It's not all the kind of peaceful, lovely like thing that we think in this country and people do yoga, etc. Um, and so it's a very dark kind of religion. And, and people kind of, we saw a few Christians coming or just beginning to go towards Jesus and then it was amazing because actually there was a bit of a religious spirit around <laughs> in some of the believers that, w that we were with and just as these people would begin to step towards Jesus and want to come out this this spirit will work through someone and, and kind of attack or accuse or like slander or say something horrible about these guys and we saw it the first time we thought that is really weird you know like literally so, say someone come to church and like ask a prayer or make a commitment then the following week like this person would be kind of come under criticism or something awful would happen to them um and but the thing was it was from within the church and we would think this this is really weird and it happened a few times and I was thinking oh my gosh it is so I could almost predict then you know like I would almost think this person is like make steps towards Jesus so like someone somewhere or not even in the church from other Christians will say you know like my friend who's a Christian said to me that I can't ever be a Christian or you know something like that and I would think this ugly spirit this religious spirit can be so ugly and uh, before we get onto the the good bit of the story um, it is just a fun I remember I think I've got a picture there have I of um, whatever we think about all the racial stuff in the country do you, I was so shocked, you know, I'm sure you were, in the Euros when um, England lost in the penalties. And obviously the three who missed the penalties were all of different kind of racial um, ethnicity. And the horrible, horrible, like racist things that came out. It was literally shocking. Like it made me feel sick to my core. 
And, uh, you know, whatever we feel about all the BLM and whatever, whatever happened, this, this was just such a shocking thing, wasn't it? That there was such hatred, such a racial hatred towards these three men just for missing a penalty. I mean, this is what I mean when, you, when it gets out of perspective where it's like it's literally beyond reason. And it's like to, to the point where you think there is a horrible, dark spirit behind it where it's just, I mean... I know it's football, we love football, but you think it's a ball that you've got to hit into a net. Like, and literally that people would be sending them death threats and stuff about missing the penalties, but also the racial thing. But then it was so moving, wasn't it, that how many that people and these two girls who went and covered up the like horrible like racist graffiti on their on this mural, and they put you know really messages of hope and wanting to kind of combat that horrible spirit. But when it touched in, it was very demonic. It was very dark. And then I don't know if you saw. I think I brought up the next advertising campaign. I don't know if you saw that R three lions and it had their three faces and saying these are our three lions, you know, the three who missed it and just wanting to honour them. And when I saw that, because I've been so disturbed by the like horrible spirit of like aggression, I almost when I saw that, I think at the train station, I thought I, I nearly cried because I thought, yes, like, you know, we've got to come in that opposite beautiful spirit. One time, Henry on our road, our road is very, quite narrow, so we have all sorts of parking issues. I mean, literally, it is really bad. And it's getting worse because we're on the edge of the ULES now as well. And the South, you know, because we're just off the South Circular. So now, I mean, it's getting carnage, mate. And so our neighbours get really like, angry with each other and stuff like that. And uh, there was this one time I came in and Hen said, oh my gosh, I've had quite a day. And uh, basically, one of our new neighbours on the street he, he had put his bins out. So some people put their bins out to reserve the spaces because it is really hard to park. And um, someone else was getting really irate about this space. And they basically reversed into the bin. <laughs> okay. So, I mean, this, this is what I mean. This is very petty, right? This is petty. But how things escalate. And so then they reversed into the bin. Then the, our neighbor came out and got really mad, the guy who's new on the street. Um, and he's a black guy, and he came out and he got really cross, like, oh, you know, um, you reverse into my bin. And then the woman, literally, it's unbelievable, she then reversed into him. Literally, but I mean, not very hard, but I mean, enough that it gave the guy a real shock. You know, he was really having a shock. So then they started really shouting each other, and then Henry came out, because he's like, oh my gosh, what's going on? And then the police got called, do you know what I mean? And then, of course, it became about race, and it, it just escalated into this huge thing. And it, there was so much hatred there. And it was just so scary, that kind of... And it's, it comes, obviously, from lots and lots of pain. But also, there's like, it's almost like you tap into this kind of anger or where it gets totally out of proportion. And, I mean, thankfully, like, Henry was really able to just say, like, it's okay, guys, like, and say to this guy, it's just parking, like, it's okay. Like, you know, just, just try and come back. And actually, it did all this... It was all fine, and it dispersed, and... And then he brought about around a bottle of wine and was just like, thank you so much. But it, it's just this horrible hatred. And you can see it here against Paul, isn't it? That's trying to kill Paul. It's like almost a spirit, like a demonic thing that wants to take people's lives. It wants to blow things out of proportion. So these fanatical Jews, they form this terrifying plot and it's a powerful demonic agreement. And it could have taken their lives. And uh, it, it's hard, isn't it, when you think about that? Oh, that really ugly, sort of aggressive spirit. And uh, it's hard when we're reading all this not to think about Jay Smith. So I brought up a picture of Jay Smith. 
um, who I think probably many of you know, and Des knows him well, and he's well known to Ichthus, and this is a guy who he, he's um, a kind of a scholar, and he argues with radical Muslims, okay, and he kind of really fights the cause for Christianity, but he does it in a very confrontational way, and he wants to go, and his, his thing is he wants to find the Saul's, um, the people like Saul, who are kind of radical, fanatical Jews, and convert them into Pauls. And so he even works with these sort of really extremist uh, Muslims who are like, some of them then disappear. Like, I remember him saying, you know, like, we'll be, we'll be arguing with them one day and then they've disappeared because they've gone off, like, to terrorist camps and things like that. Because these are extremists. These are people really, really willing to die for their faith. And in a sense, you know, when I read these kind of stories now, and I think like, wow, it's incredible people like Jay, (laughs) uh, who actually have such a heart to reach people like these Jews who were willing to kill for their faith, who were really extreme. People like who Paul was, you know, before he came, Paul, when he was Saul, before he came Paul. And uh, Paul himself here, you know, he's becoming victim now to the type of person he was before he met Jesus because you've got these extreme fanatical Jews. And Jay is a very inspiring man because he's got love even for those guys, you know, even those kind of really extremist, terrorist kind of Muslims. And he, he kind of fights them at their own game, so he goes full on. I don't know if you've ever been up to um, Speaker's Corner with Jay, but um, I did on Summer Project one year, and he takes you up there, and it's Speaker's Corner in Hyde Park, you know, we're allowed to say anything, and he's kind of, you know, really tussling, and he gets this close, you know, like really speaks and shouts in their face. And uh, it's quite an experience. It's really an amazing thing, so I feel sad he's still not here. But the thing about him is they really respect him, and they really do love him. And there's this lovely quote that I found, which is that Smith's polemic approach has been praised by some of the most extreme Muslims who said, I feel very comfortable with Jay. With him, what you see is what you get. He's no hypocrite, and neither are Salafis. His words and actions match his heart. He does not pretend by saying soft words about Islam. The Quran calls for debate, and most U.S. evangelicals refuse to debate Muslims, unlike the courage of Jay, who boldly cries out, Jesus is Lord. So that's an amazing quote, isn't it? And uh, when I read these kind of last uh, chapters of Acts, I think of him because I just think, wow, I'm so grateful to God for people like Jay, you know, who really will go out like Paul and really, really want to see these people converted. So poor old Paul here, he's kind of now the victim of some of these really extremist, fanatical um, uh, kind of religious guys that almost get hold of this kind of demonic spirit. So that's our first agreement okay the negative I had to just look at my watch because I didn't look when I started sadly did I start about quarter two yeah okay so that's the kind of very negative agreement so this is what I'm saying the power of spiritual agreements but then the complete contrast between that and then this amazing agreement that you get this amazing relationship that you read about with Paul and his sister's son his nephew and uh, it's kind of like it's quite you read it you think Oh, Paul had a sister. You know what I mean? You don't know. Oh, Paul had a nephew. You almost think of Paul. Like you kind of can't quite imagine Paul the family man. But um, so it's, it's really nice. You don't hear really much else about this sister or the son. But you've got this, this young boy. I mean, the fact that in verse 19, it says the commander took him by the hand kind of 
suggests he might even be quite young. You know what I mean? He might be quite a young boy. I don't know, because it's, you know, taking someone by the hand is the sort of thing you do with a child. So he could even be, you know, reasonably young boy. And here you see such a contrasting spirit where he, he's obviously heard of this plot, this awful thing against Paul. He's got the family connection, hasn't he, with Paul? And he goes to Paul, and that is such a courageous thing to do, isn't he? He hears of it. Can you imagine the fear? Can you imagine... Can you imagine the fear that this boy, this young man or whatever, must be feeling? He's just heard of this plot. He might have seen, he might have heard of it firsthand. We don't know. These aggressive 40 men, like, you know. And he's heard of it, just him, just the one. You know, not the 40, just the one. And then he then takes, wants to take this message to Paul. And he, it's so courageous. And then Paul's obviously in prison, so he can't do anything about it. So he then sends him to the centurion. And then the centurion takes him to the commander I mean, this is, I mean, this is a very courageous thing to do. I mean, he must have been absolutely terrified. And um, it's, you know, it's, it's really a beautiful thing. And then through what he says and through his words, in a sense, Paul is spared, isn't it? And this horrible kind of agreement, the negative, powerful agreement is broken um, by just this one young man who sees it and turns it around, and takes courage, and goes up to it. He acts courageously out of loyalty, and, and with wisdom as well, isn't it? He goes straight to Paul, honesty, openness, wisdom. It's risky. It's risky then. He goes to the commander. It's risky. You know, it's a dangerous thing to do. But what is so amazing is then, through this young man, Paul's life is spared, in a sense. And it's not spared ultimately, because ultimately Paul does give his life and is martyred. But it enables him to fulfill what God wants him to do. And isn't that such a beautiful thing? You just think, wow, like that is a beautiful agreement. That is a powerful, pure and beautiful relationship there, isn't it? That in a sense, what this young man does, it enables Paul to fulfill verse 11, you know, that I started with, verse 11, where it's saying, I want you to go and be my witness in Rome. And if it hadn't been for this, his nephew, this boy, then, you know, Paul might have been killed. And, you know, as I said, ultimately, in a few years, Paul is killed. But God's got something for him to do still. God still wants him to be a witness in Rome. And so if it hadn't been for the nephew here, Paul wouldn't have been able to fulfill that thing that the Holy Spirit wants him to do, to be a solemn witness in Rome. And so obviously the kind of, the things we can apply from this, from this beautiful act of courage from this young boy. I mean, you know, the, the kind of the beauty, the selfless act that he's done for someone else in his family. And, you know, it makes us think about our, our own family. I don't know if it makes you think about it. You think, oh, Lord, use me in my family like that. Do you know what I mean? Use me like that to enable someone else in my family to fulfill their destiny, to fulfill what you want them to do. And obviously, everyone has different families, different challenges, different, <laughs> you know, different pain, different backgrounds. But, I mean, you know, who knows about this? I think it's kind of commonly understood that Paul 
would have been kind of disowned by, generally speaking, by his family when he changed from being the kind of a zealot, very zealous <laughs> extremist Jew into a Christian. So he might have been disowned by, he probably came from a very complex family situation, do you know what I mean? And then somehow in the midst of it, there's this boy, there's this sister's nephew who loves Paul and who spares him in the midst of probably a very complicated family situation. But isn't it amazing that actually this boy and this relationship enables Paul to fulfill his destiny? I remember hearing Adrian Todd once from Southcroft talking about when Joel, his son, was very, very ill. And Joel was very, very ill between about 16 and 18 and had like major problems, had to have major surgery and was in hospital for many months. And um, what was so interesting, it really struck with me that that Adrian said, he used to, yes, he used to pray for Joel to be healed. They had a huge amount of people praying, loads of church, and loads of churches, loads of people praying for Joel. And uh, he, was healed, he was brought through, and, these, you know, it was amazing. But one thing that struck me about Adrian was he said, but the thing that I felt God tell me to pray for Joel was that he would fulfill his destiny. You know, not just, oh, please heal him, but actually that he could come through to fulfill the destiny that God had, the thing that God wanted Joel to do. And uh, that really struck with me because I was thinking, wow, if you're a parent, you're probably just thinking, Lord, you know, all you're praying, you're praying, the only one thing is just like heal, 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 heal him, heal him. Um, But actually, it's so important that in our families that that's our prayer, that Lord, help this person to fulfill their destiny um, for you. And, you know, now Joel is leading a church and, you know, he is serving God and it's wonderful. And so since then, I always, I, I was like, mental note um good parenting there or whatever you do and so like actually then I've built that into my nighttime prayer for Barney Rose every single day that I say Lord let let them fulfill their destiny that's my heart that is what I want is that God would fulfill um they would fulfill their destiny in God and so that's really it that's all I wanted to say was the 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 beauty of the con you know in a sense the contrast of these two types of agreements that our agreements do matter it matters it matters what we how we relate into our families and obviously there's our earthly family that we want the to be these kind of people like this nephew that enable each other in our families to fulfill our destinies that pray for each other to do that But also, of course, it applies to the church family as well, doesn't it? Us as a family, that actually we want to be people that are enabling one another to fulfill the destiny that God has for our lives. So let's not be sucked into any kind of negative agreements, amen? Any of these kind of really ugly, kind of negative, angry things that we can sense, that we can sense in our culture and all over the place. You know, where people lose perspective like these Jews. But actually, we want to pray for those beautiful agreements that enable one another to fulfill our destiny and what God has got for us. So I think I just got one more summary slide, have I? Yes. Oh, it's a bit hard to read. Sorry. In our families and in our churches, let's be like this nephew. Let's be selfless. You know, let's be selfless for one another. Let's not think of ourselves. Can you imagine if he thought, oh, it's far too dangerous? You know what I mean? Those 40, they might find out. They might kill me. Do you know what I mean? Like, they they might find out that I'm actually um, telling, and they might kill me. Um, But actually, he, he was courageous. He was selfless. He was sacrificial. He took a risk. He was wise. And he enabled Paul to fulfill his destiny. So... 
Why don't I just pray for us and then I'll hand back to Martin. Well, Lord, we, we thank you for your word, Lord, even in quite a challenging passage like this where you, you see such ugly, this ugly kind of agreement and this kind of horrible, murderous spirit that's seeking to take Paul's life and seeking to take those men's lives, those 40 men's lives. And Lord, we know those kind of, that sort of spirit is out there, Lord Jesus. We see it when we see people murdering one another or, lo- or the anger, Lord, that just bubbles over, that, that, that throws reason out of the window. And Lord, we just pray you would just save us from that. Lord, we just, we just don't want to enter into any of that, no matter how small um, it is. Lord Jesus, we don't want to enter into sort of negative agreements, Lord, that we know have power. But Lord, we want to be like that nephew, you know, who had such a selfless, beautiful agreement, in a sense, to save Paul's life, that you used him to save Paul's life. And we don't even know anything about him, <laughs> really, from the Bible. But we know that he, he saved Paul in that moment and enabled Paul to fulfill his destiny. And Lord, I want to pray over all of our families Lord, our relationships, our earthly families, as it were. Lord Jesus, I want to pray that you would help us, Lord, to be that kind of selfless people that enable each other to uh, fulfill the destiny that God has put on our hearts and fulfill the destiny that you are calling us, Lord, to be your witnesses. Lord Jesus, I pray that within our families, Lord, as parents, as children, as grandparents, uncles, aunts, everything that we are, nephews, nieces, Lord, to enable one another to fulfill our destiny and our calling. And Lord, as a church as well, Lord Jesus, we just lift up even Forest Hill Congregation, Lord, Ichthus as a whole. Lord, we pray you'd help us, Lord Jesus, to be those who are sacrificial for one another, who are selfless, who are courageous, Lord, who step up at the right moments, Lord, to save one another, in a sense, save, save one another, deliver one another from the enemy's plans, and Lord, enable one another to fulfill the destiny that you are calling us to, Lord, as Forest Hill Congregation, as Ichthus. Lord, we want to be a church that fulfills what you have for us. And Lord, let us each play our part, Lord, our part in that. Amen.